This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear Hall & Oates on the stereo. So, if you're thinking of visiting the Chicago area and not dropping by the Underground Retrocade, I'm afraid you're out of touch. And I can't go for that. No can do. The Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. If you can beat a red, can you never get a red? I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Danson. And this is yet another episode of the No Quarter Podcast. Yet another? Yep, it just keeps going on and on. And for that, on. we can thank court order. <laughs> the, the judge said that we can't just walk away from this anytime soon. So. No. Otherwise, Carrington would have quit months and months ago. <laughs> yes. And I would have quit shortly thereafter. <laughs> yes, indeed. But instead, you're stuck listening to us. Ah, uh, yes, because court order also makes them listen. <laughs> That's right. They're mandated to listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, we are here to once again talk about classic arcade games. Oh, how I love them. But first, we have feedback. We got lots, we? Of, lots of good feedback this week. Fun, fun, fun stuff. Well, since I can no longer be seen on, on Facebook, I don't have to look at that anymore. So, Carrington, take it away. I will read you things that, as far as you know, are from Facebook. <laughs> Okay. Actually, we got good feedback from Sean, Sean Courtney. He wrote in to say, My exposure to TaxScan was limited to when they played it on Starcade and the 2600 version. When I heard you guys talking about the other levels, I just thought that I sucked at the 2600 version. I never knew about that crazy tunnel level. I just knew about the vertically oriented playfield. Now, and so we were talking last week, actually, just to stop the letter for a bit, about how the other versions of it were trimmed down from the game. Like, there's the three different levels in the arcade game but like the 2600 only gets that that first version just over and over and over again so a little mm -hmm. less exciting but we were we were talking about the paddles and i thought it was weird that on the tax scan for the 2600 the paddles went in the player two controller port but he writes in to say as for the paddle controller being plugged into the player two controller port on the atari 2600 version well that's not the most common thing in the world it's also not the most unheard of thing if you put the paddles into controller one that means you have to unplug the joystick and since the vast majority of a our, uh, sorry, Atari 2600 games use the joystick, having to switch back and forth would discourage someone from playing. And he also tells us how he found that out, him and his brother, by unplugging and plugging too often right after Christmas one time. He also talks about the Commodore 64, boo, about how a lot of the <laughs> games were like that as well. You'd plug the game controller into port number two, based on the assumption that you kept the mouse plugged into port one, and that if his memory is correct, sometimes the joystick in port one would interfere with the keyboard somehow. And to that, I just say, What's up with those Commodore people and the stuff they put up with? My goodness, poor Commodore people. Tragic. <laughs> anyway, he says, uh, thanks for making his commute to work less painful. He can't wait to hear our show covering Professor Pac-Man. Is that on our list of, of upcoming games yet, Mike? Professor Pac-Man? It is now. I think we should do all the Pac-Men. Pac-Man. That's the Professor Pac-Man. That's the, the professor has the big mustache, right? That's I don't know that I'm familiar with that title. I think it's mustache Pac-Man. 
Maybe we'll do a Pac-Man month. What month starts with P? So Jessica wrote in. She says she's catching up on her shows and she just got past the Ghosts and Goblins episode. And she was surprised we didn't mention that there is a Ghosts and Goblins Online, which is a massively multiplayer online role-playing game version of Ghosts and Goblins. Uh, she's in Korea and she says she thinks it's only available in Korea, China, and Taiwan. And it's not the hugest thing in the world here, she says, but lots of people play it. It was posted recently on Steam, but that turned out to be a mistake. It wasn't supposed to be posted because it's not playable outside of, of Asia. So she sent us, though, a YouTube link so people can take a look at it. I looked at it and that actually looks a really cool game. So imagine if you sort of took Ghosts and goblins and combined it with world of warcraft <laughs> and then said there you go it's a free-ranging world with the adventures and basically a whole rpg thing but kind of based on a ghost and goblins mechanic so really interesting i'm looking at uh, joystick.com joystick mm-hmm. with a q they have an article here that's that not how cap- you spell joystick you're right it's not you can complain to management i'm sure they'll be very <laughs> interested to hear what you have to say i'll be complaining later about the spelling in this week's game actually a little bit of foreshadowing. More spelling complaints, Carrington? <laughs> yep. I can't wait for the more you're wrong, Carrington, emails next week. Uh, Capcom's twice-canceled MMO, Ghosts and Goblins Online, may soon rise from the dead as a free-to-play online action game pending community approval after its recent reappearance at Steam Greenlight. Ghosts and Goblins Online was originally slated as a multi-platform release in 2003, uh, though development ceased prior to completion. A second attempt, originally entitled... Uh, I can't even read that, was seemingly canned as well. Seed9, creator of the cancelled Can't Even Read That Online, is also behind the newly launched Steam Greenlight campaign. Seed9 announced that the revitalized Ghosts and Goblins... Now, I thought that this was the thing that they went behind Capcom's back and tried to do this, and that's why it got pulled. Yes, as I'm looking through Jessica's letter here. Well, first of all, she said she heard her have played the beta so i don't maybe it never came out but anyway yeah she's saying as well that it got posted on steam Greenlight, and it kind of had got snuck on there and then got yanked down because they were being naughty well in either case you didn't like ghosts and goblins so i doubt you would run off and play the mmorpg version anyway so the capcom realized that and they saw what a horrible <laughs> mistake they were making and just pulled it they knew the mighty power that you wield my goodness <laughs> I have all kinds of power I didn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Never a good thing. So over on Facebook, you remember Facebook, Mike. Facebook misses Vaguely. you. Mark, uh, Mark Johnston wrote in. Well, he sent us the coolest link for something called Arcadia. It's a geocache in Sweden. Um, so I won't be going through it anytime soon. Now, <laughs> now, have you gone geocaching before, Mike? You know what geocaching is? I found it to be a frustrating and annoying experience. I love geocaching. I like to be frustrated and annoyed. (laughs) I I love it. I totally love it. It's super, super fun. So Arcadia is a geocache in Sweden. It's in, I guess you pronounced Sørsval, Sørsval, something like that. And I I don't know. I've never been there before. I've been to Sweden though. And it's an asteroids geocache. So once you find the cache, so you're going to use your, your GPS and get the coordinates and solve the clues and find the geocache. It's a big box on the side of something. You open up the big box. Inside is a special controller and a video display, and it's playing Asteroids. And there's also another internal box with a padlock on it. And to get the code for the padlock, so you can get at the logbook and prove you were there, you have to play Asteroids and get a score of at least 5,000. <laughs> so you have to beat Asteroids. And if you beat Asteroids, it gives you the padlock key, and then you can, you can open up and, and record in the book. I think that is an awesome geocache. Sounds sort of like that that contrived plot point that was in, what was that, Ready Player One book where you had to play video games to... Yes, it was. I loved that book. 
Okay. To me, it reminded me of the the movie The Great All-Nighter. Do you know that one? No, I haven't seen that one. It's awesome. No, it was called Midnight Madness. That's it, Midnight Madness, which stars a very young Michael J. Fox as like the little kid in it and a bunch of other people, Dave Naughton, I think. And they do an all-night scavenger hunt and it's really, really super fun. I highly recommend it for our, our listeners. It's an incredibly stupid movie, but it does have a good arcade scene in it. So that's nice from, I think, 80 or 81. And what's really silly about it is all the teams, you'll have like the jock team and the nerd team and the the regular team that you're supposed to follow. They all wear the same colors. <laughs> so like all the jocks are wearing white, and all the nerds are wearing yellow, and all the other guys are wearing blue. It's really strange. <laughs> I like it a lot. I'll have to check out that movie. Yep. Yeah. Really good. Highly recommended. So we got uh, on Facebook, you remember Facebook, Mike, Ken, Ken Scott wrote in to say, finally caught up with the backload of shows to the present and no quarter has easily become my favorite podcast. Oh, Ken, you are a man of discerning taste. Ken, you um, need to get a life. No, no, stay just as you are. <laughs> Don't change the thing, Ken. So he says, uh, enjoy the news, feedback, game commentary, variety of games discussed, rarity of cabinets, cabinet variations, all of it. Ken, you're my new favorite listener. He says, have learned a lot about a lot from the new links through your show and frequently find myself playing along with the games we discuss. His only regret now that he says now that he's caught up is that he'll have to wait a week for the new podcast just like everyone else. But he says on the plus side, I'll now be able to miss the events you announce by mere days instead of weeks. <laughs> so that's good. Looking at it this way, Ken, because of, of how lazy I am uh, about editing, sometimes, yes, it'll be a week or a week and a half before you get your next episode, but then it'll be three days after that before you get your next one. <laughs> so who knows? He sends us a couple of links then, both of which are great, and I'll put both in our show notes. The first is a YouTube link to the arcade scene from Dawn of the Dead. So, of course, everyone should have seen that movie. I love, love that movie. I forgot all about that there's that great arcade scene in it. What's nice about it is that since the film is from 78, you're looking at a 19, late 1970s arcade. Like, So they're playing a mix of video games and mechanical games. And it's fun not just to see the games that they play, which is great to look at the, the racing game and stuff, but to also see their faces when they play and the mix of like enjoyment and amusement and confusion. <laughs> like It's like, well, what is this? <laughs> and the whole way it's shot and it's like this whole thing, like you can tell that it's being presented to audiences who themselves would find it really strange that these people were playing these games. So it's really, really fun. Great scene to check out. And there's no blood or zombies. So people that want to keep away from the gore, it's a safe clip to look at. You'll just go to see arcade games. That's good. And he also sent a link to a Flickr photo set, which is just terrific. I like those little miniature arcade cabinets that we struggled to try to give one away. But this is a <laughs> Flickr set with highly detailed artwork to fold your own mini cabinets. So you can go there, pick out the game you like, you can print it out, and then you sort of cut it, fold, put tab A into slot B, or wait, no, that doesn't make any sense. You put tab A into slot A, tab B goes into slot B. If you're better at this than me, then you'd be able to fold them and make your own little miniature arcade games, uh, essentially for just the cost of printing. So very, very cool. So origami arcade. Exactly. Games. It's oricady. And then he and he concludes with a list of other games for us to add to our long list of games that we'll eventually get to. He wants to hear us review Carnival, Anteater, Arabian, Snapjack, Blaster, and Cube Quest. And I don't know a couple of those. I don't know most of those. <laughs> I don't know. Do I know Snapjack? I think that's the one where you're like the squared off Pac-Man head on the long legs that go bigger and shorter and you go sort of like a Moon Patrol movement. 
Am I making that up? Does that sound <laughs> at all like an actual <laughs> game? <laughs> That's news to me. I, I need some more whatever you're smoking. I may be wrong about that, but I think that's what Snapchat is. Anyway, we'll put them all in the list. And he says, keep up the good work, and we will. You had mentioned arcade photos. I mentioned a lot of things. You did. And this is – I'm really, really, really forcing the, the segue here. But I, I don't know what internet K-hole I stumbled down to find this. But there's a photo project, and it actually dates back to – I thought it dated back to 2007, but it looks like it actually goes – the photos are dated 2001, so even further. But there is a photographer called Rosemary Fiore. And mm-hmm. she has taken a series of long exposure arcade games in play. Oh, very cool. Yeah, there, there, uh, the Tempest, there's Gyrus, a couple of Gyruses, Gyri. <laughs> Gyri would be the proper plural, yes. Quantum, uh, Kicks and, and a couple of others. It looks like prints are available, like, and big ones, like four foot by six foot, but <laughs> that's not... bigger than Prince the singer. <laughs> <laughs> boo, boo. <laughs> I don't see prices or anything like that. She does have an email address. Contact her directly. So I assume that you can negotiate prices if they're still being sold. Whether or not they're being sold, you should check out these photos. They're That's very a great cool. idea for, for a project, too. I'd love to see those. Awesome. Awesome. We got one of the best letters we have ever received. Just absolutely love this letter we got from Mark Kirby. He wrote in to say, only discovered the podcast recently, but have been busy listening to the archive and it has made my journey to and from work much more pleasurable. Brings back lots of happy times. But unfortunately, I have to inform you that you are also responsible for the destruction of a very happy childhood memory. And then then he he gives us some special effects. Wibbly wobbly time you one (laughs) back through the mists of time. So he says, picture, if you will, a young boy on vacation with his family at a rather poor holiday camp at a windswept UK seaside resort in 1981. All he cares about since he first witnessed Space Invaders is the bleep of arcade games. And his excitement is unbounded as he heads to the arcade section of the camp. Unfortunately, only three machines are working. Space Invaders, Lunar Lander, and another that he played to death the whole vacation, but can't remember the name of it. Whilst the other two were monochrome-ish, this game was full color and he loved it. Then we have more special effects. He says, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey forward (laughs) through the mists of time. I love that. It's awesome. (laughs) Absolutely. So 30-odd years later, and the man has never seen the game again, but still has a vague, fond memory of it. He Uh has has spent years trying to figure out... I don't like where this is going. (laughs) Years trying to figure out what it was, but the foggy memories of the gameplay and its visuals are as broken as his aging body. (laughs) Until this morning, he listens to one of your old podcasts on the way to work. The description brings memories flooding back. It can't be, can it? No, please don't let it be this. (laughs) With much trepidation, he gets the latest version of MAME and the appropriate ROM so he can try to play the game for himself. With shaking hand, he powers up the emulator. Oh, crap, it is. It's (laughs) Zarzon, a.k.a. Satan of Saturn. Oh, no. And it really is as bad as suggested on the podcast. Oh, how the childhood memories are destroyed. Oh, how he can only wonder how his 13-year-old self could have enjoyed this steaming pile of excrement. Oh, how the graphics flicker and disappear like the sprites on the 2600 version of Pac-Man. Oh, how could I have spent so much pocket money on this? 
this. But a few hours on, and I'm much more philosophical, realizing in hindsight that it was of its time and it was color and I was young and impressionable. That's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. Overall, though, I do forgive you for destroying my childhood. (laughs) Thank you for a very enjoyable podcast. Long may it continue. What a great letter. (laughs) Yeah, I'd never felt so good about destroying someone's... Shares childhood memories. First of all, love the uh, wibbly wobbly timey wimey. I'm a Doctor Who fan, so fantastic. And I can totally relate. There's so many things that I have, like games and TV shows and movies and stuff that you love as a kid, and then you make the mistake of revisiting it, and it's all just totally different than you remembered. And uh, yeah, fantastic letter. Fantastic. There was actually more to it, wasn't there? Well, he says that he's never watching old Clash of Titans or Firefox <laughs> again. They were the young boy's favorite films, and they are staying that way. <laughs> Probably so. a very good idea. I just yes. recently watched uh, Firefox, and uh, yeah, Mark, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> so fantastic letter. Thank you so much. That mm. totally made my day reading that. I just was killing myself laughing. Great stuff. I think, what else did we get? Oh, I think Quinn wrote in. Didn't she write to you to correct us? Say we were wrong about something, as usual. What were we wrong about this time? <laughs> Our error was omission this time. Ah, the errors of omission. Yeah, she, she wrote in to say, uh, yay, listening to the new episode now, another game I've never heard of, but we'll have to try out. Incidentally, these games, she's talking about, what game did we play last week, Carrington? I don't even remember. We. <laughs> you don't either. <laughs> we played too many games. <laughs> we played um, Black Widow was last week. Yes, that's right. She yes. said, uh, speaking of, of Black Widow, incidentally, these, quote, games that are sort of like Robotron, quote, have a name. <laughs> I thought that was it. Games that are sort of like Robotron. Is that not the official name? Dual Stick Shooters. Dual Stick Shooters. That's a much better name. The industry settled into identifiable genres a lot quicker than most people claim. People usually say it happened in the 90s with the side-scrolling beat-em-ups, fighting games, and so on. In my view, the 90s were actually a time of genre consolidation, because I can say that word. (laughs) Uh, Genre consolidation, whereas the genres themselves go back to the early 80s. Dual-stick shooters, vertical shooters, third-person driving, top-down driving, maze games. The list goes on and on. Each one was created by a particular breakout game, such as Robotron, Pac-Man, Space Invaders, Pole Position, Spy etc. And that spawned a series of similar games. These are often referred to as knockoffs, but that's what a genre is, a bunch of similar games. That's actually really well put, and that's totally true. I don't know why I went off on a rant about genres, but here we are. I guess I was surprised not to hear the phrase dual stick shooter when discussing this game. What I really miss about the 80s is the proliferation of genres. These days we have basically three, FPS, RTS, and GTA, first-person shooter, real-time strategy, and Grand Theft Auto alike. (laughs) Uh, the AAA, AAA, mm-hmm. game industry is in a serious rut. Okay, I better go before I start a rant about AAA games. I disagree. I think there's more modern games than that. I'm having trouble thinking of one at the moment. <laughs> because you're wrong, Carrington. But my gut tells me there's more. I, I don't know. When you begin to assign too many genre titles, I guess, to games that have like uh, to genres that have like two games, they begin to lose meaning. How many games were actually dual stick shooters? Seven. Seven? Uh, Seven hundred. I don't know. Are you actually asking me? If you have a game that only has two titles in it. I'm sure there's way more than that. I, I bet you I could name ten. Smash TV. One. Well, that technically that's three. No, that's one. <laughs> no, but we've already mentioned <laughs> Robotron and Black Widow. you got to give me those. Okay, fine. Three. Um, uh, Smash TV 2. Three. <laughs> Smash your TV. Smash harder. I don't know. Three. <laughs> I'm sure there's more. Quinn, help me. 
<laughs> no, she's she's absolutely right. This is it. We 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 fell down on the job again. I'm going to blame you, Carrington. I I'm going to blame me too. That was me smacking my hand. So yes, this was a dual stick shooter. Thank you, Quinn. And do we have anything else before we move on to this week's game, Carrington? This week's game is a bit of a letdown from the vector stuff, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a letdown from everything. I don't. I disagree. I, I enjoyed this week's game, but we're coming down from the high of vector stuff, I think. But no, I don't think we have more feedback. Okay, then we will talk about Wizard of War. Wizard of War, you say? Is war spelled W-A-R? Why, no, Carrington, it's it not. not. That's crazy talk. You would think so, but... The it spelling is... in this game, what is up with the spelling in this game? Yeah, I think that was probably an attempt to brand it or build some sort of mindshare recognition. I, I don't know. I'm John Madden for CBS Video Games. I've got a great money-back offer for you. But first, watch this exciting competition in the CBS Video Games Challenge of Champions. Today's challengers, arcade aces, Tony Sarkis against Ray Johnson. The game, Wizard of War, new from CBS Video Games. The object, defeat the wizard, his henchman, and your opponent. Tony hits the wall. He misses Ray. Ray fires at the wizard. Wizard zapped Tony. Ray Johnson wins. Wizard of War, new from CBS Video Games. Are you up to the challenge? You've seen how challenging Wizard of War is. Now we'll bet your money back that Wizard is tougher than you are. Buy it, and after three days, if you think otherwise, return it to your participating dealer with your receipt and get your money back. How can we make this money back offer? Because we know how tough this game is. But maybe you're not up to the challenge. This is a 1980 game by Bally Midway. We've gone back to the raster games here, folks. No more, No more beautiful vector. Wizard of War featured a Z80, I'm sorry, a Z80 CPU at 1.789772 megahertz, a 352 by 240 pixel raster screen, and the sound is described as a three-speaker, two-astrocade sample system. I don't really know what that means. Me neither. That sounds more like a description of the emulation, the astrocade samples, but yeah. I could be wrong. There's not a lot of details online about the hardware. In the normal places where we can read about this, they all sort of skip over what the hardware is. It's weird. The game was officially, technically it was released in 1980, but it was released on December 31st. So I'd say this is pretty much a 1981 game. Mm -hmm. The gameplay consists of a never-ending series of maze-like dungeons randomly drawn from a large pool of preset designs. Each dungeon has doors on either side that warp around to the other side, similar to Pac-Man. You play as characters called Warriors, also spelled with an O instead of an A, <laughs> and you have to clear each dungeon of monsters. The game has single-player or simultaneous two-player co-op gameplay. Player 1 takes the yellow warrior on the right-hand side. Player 2 takes the blue warrior on the left-hand side. In the arcade version, the single-player mode, the blue warrior is controlled by the CPU. Contemporary home conversions usually don't include this. Your enemies consist of a blue Burr War, W-O-R, a yellow Gar War, W-O-R. These are all W-O-Rs. A red Thor War, a Warlock, <laughs> and the Wizard of War himself. Ah, yes, the Wizard of War. In this game, I hate the Wizard of War. The Wizard of War is a big cheater. Why is he a cheater, Carrington? Because he appears and kills you immediately. <laughs> I was like, what What was that? What was that? What was the little guy in the pointed hat? What did he do? Also, you say that this is an it's an endless series of maze, but for me, it's about a five-minute series of maze. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, my death. I didn't play this a lot this week. It's not that I was particularly busy. I mean, it's been incredibly cold and unpleasant here, so nobody's really been going outside. I had plenty of time to play it. I just 
for whatever reason, the things that tend to draw me back to arcade games and make me wish that I was still playing them, you know, if I was a kid and it was, I was out of quarters or my parents said, Hey, it's time to go. Then I would go home and think about the games I wanted to play next time. I didn't have that with Wizard of War and I don't know why other than wasn't all that interested. Not a terrible game. Uh, the sound is, is really great. I, I, I like that the tempo increases the longer you stay in the maze. I like that it speeds up and gets more difficult. All of the elements of games that I really enjoy are there, but for whatever reason, it just, it never really gelled for me. So I, I had a hard time playing it very much. I think I played for maybe four or five sessions of maybe 10 minutes a piece and kind of went, all right. And I hope I got a better score than you. Otherwise, you've just built up this whole, oh, I barely played, and then you beat me again, and I'll be very upset at you, Mike. <laughs> you better knock a digit off your score. That's kind of what I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs> so I like, I'm totally with you on not having really fallen in love with the game this week, although at the same time, not really disliked the game. I'm a little ambivalent about it, a little lukewarm. Uh, there are some elements of it I really do like. I like the fact, like, while you're playing in a maze, which takes up most of the screen, on the bottom, in between the two areas that show the scores, and this is a score on the bottom game, which is a little different, there's that radar section, because a lot of the, the bad guys are invisible. So you're in a maze with frantically moving invisible guys. They become visible when they get in line with you, if they're in the same corridor as you. But they're always visible on your little radar radar map. So I spent a lot of time, you know, looking down at the radar, trying to guess, well, where, where are they? What will they pop up? And I, and I like the, the use of radar in the game. So I, I enjoyed that element quite a bit. As I'm listening to you talk, well, pretending to listen to you talk. And, <laughs> I was going to say, that's a first. And thinking back about the game, there were two thoughts that occurred to me. One is that as I was playing this, it, the graphics reminded me a lot of home console, had a, had a very home console-ish. Absolutely. Console to me, I kept thinking it looks like an Intellivision game. That to the Atari 2600. And I, as I was playing it, I kept, I kept thinking, you know, I could be playing a, s a similar game, having a lot more fun if I were playing Robotron or I, if I were playing Berserk or even Smash TV. Um, I believe those are called dual stick shooters. Are they, Carrington? Yes. I was not genre. aware of that. <laughs> what an interesting genre. What, what I like, well, I, do I say like? I don't know. What I note about this game and what the thing I always kind of remembered about this game, because I did play this game as a kid, I, m I remember playing this. I remembered it as that game where your guy goes sideways. So you're viewing the maze and you have to imagine, you're supposed to think of the maze as like a top-down view. So this is not like uh, Major Havoc that we played recently where it's a maze you're falling down through. This is a maze that you're going up and down corridors. So it's more like Pac-Man. It's a top-down view. And yet your little man and the enemies are viewed from the side. So when you walk upward... You rotate 90 degrees, so you kind of look like you're lying on your back. <laughs> you move upward and, and the opposite for when you go down. So it's kind of weird. And I think that's just a, an example of a game from, well, we're saying 1981, but we're basically developed in 1980. And it's early enough that I don't think maybe all of the tropes had fully gelled yet in the way that what your orientation would be. I think if this game was made nowadays, you would view the characters from a top-down perspective as well, and it wouldn't be so so strange-looking. So I always found that weird. I also found the whole premise of the game kind of weird, because it's like a wizard game, and there's a wizard in it, although I never saw the wizard when I used to play back and pump quarters in machines because I was too bad at this. But now that I could play for free and really plug away at it this week, I got a little farther, and I would occasionally see the wizard and curse, curse the wizard. But it's an odd game because you're 
avatar is kind of like an a spaceman slash army man with kind of a backpack and a laser shooter but mm-hmm. it's a wizard thing and the whole premise that you're like going after this wizard in a post-apocalyptic world and i'm like it's a post-apocalyptic magic world and you're trapped in his maze and he's sicking weird aliens on you and like <laughs> it's a it's a real strange mishmash of of backstory and also it's spelled so strange and so wrong <laughs> So there are three types of warling, the, the Burr War, the Gar War, and the Thor War. These ascend in order of speed and viciousness, so the further you get, the more difficult and fast the enemies become. There's also the, the Warlock, and the Warlock just appears at a random point mm-hmm. at the maze right at the end and runs right for the exit. And if you happen to be lined up in the right position and can hit the fire button in time, you can kill him. That'll grant you the double score dungeon, which means you get a 2x score multiplier for the next level. Right. You got to want to get that if you want to try to get high scores. However, this thing moves so quickly that it's not like you're going to chase it down. You just have to happen to be in the right place. Well, it always goes for one of the doors. So what I would do is ignore it and try to start shooting at one of the doors. And then you have the Wizard of War, which, as you said, uh, Carrington Ugh. teleports randomly around the maze and casts deadly lightning bolts. Randomly, until... my butt. It teleports right at you and zaps <laughs> you immediately. Unless you're Carrington and then it comes right at you. <laughs> and the problem is it would appear, it seems, I only got to see it a few times, but it seems that it appears, it, he, he or she, the, this wizard. The wizard, we don't know. Yeah, appears if you kill the warlock. So that warlock bug thing appears that you want to shoot so you get the double score dungeon. But if you shoot it occasionally, instantly, the wizard will appear and teleport right like right behind you and shoot you immediately. So it's like, aha, I've got my double point dungeon. Aha, I'm dead. What? <laughs> like, so it got me nervous about shooting the warlock. I'm like, I want the double points, but I also don't want my game to end. It's a bit of a Hubson's choice. So that one was uh, a little bit annoying. Also, the warlock, that little bug thing that appears trying to just run away, kind of reminded me of Dig Dug about how the last baddie and dig dug then says you know i give up i just want to get out of here and it just runs so the warlock does that but also the warlock made me aware of how when you're playing this solo i liked how you play the the little yellow guy on the right and the computer basically plays the blue guy on the left the computer takes over and plays player number two but the computer is really bad at player number two and will always die very early and the computer was also terrible at just letting that warlock just walk on by and not shooting at it i would curse i was like you were the worst player number two So that's when I learned that you can shoot player number two and get a thousand points. So I was like, right away, I was like, I'll take the points. Yep. That's the first thing I would do is kill the CPU player. Because the CPU player is not going to live long enough to get into the high levels and actually help you when it gets difficult. He's only going to be around for like the first two levels, which are easy to survive. So you might as well just take the points and kill player blue. Absolutely. That's what I I decided was I got too upset at player number two and I would just kill the computer. (laughs) So I, I guess I should be clear here because I, I hear the, the keyboards firing up already. Dear Mike, you're an idiot and this is why. <laughs> I didn't hate this game. I think the design is, like you said, quarantine, sort of a mishmash, but it never really gelled all that well. I didn't hate it. I'm just sort of lukewarm about it. It's not a game I'm going to play again, at least not on MAME. If it's in a, if it's in an arcade and everything else is Buck Rogers and, and Zarzon, then I might drop a quarter into this, but probably not. I think I am going to keep playing it. I mean, it's not going to go into my favorites list. I'm not going to pull it up all the time. But for like a quick, you know, couple of minutes of frantic maze shooting, I, I kind of dig it. Like, I like mm. the sound. I like the flashing when you get the double score dungeon and it's like, and all the noise and stuff and gets really excited. It's like really thrilled that you're doing well. <laughs> so I kind of dig it. Now, you mentioned the sound here, and we should point out that in the, the attract mode and when the game starts, 
there's a lot of speech synthesis going on there. It says things like Wizard of War. I forget exactly what it was, mm -hmm. but I did find that portion of it to be very cool. And it didn't do that for me at first because I was playing on a, a subset of my main ROMs, and I guess I just didn't have those bits. And it was only when I was reading about it and, and thought, oh, it's it's supposed to speak? What? And then I went and got different set of the main things, and then I got to hear that. Does it require a, a separate set of samples that you have to download? Yeah, I think I, I think remember. that's what they were. I don't know. I, I, I just downloaded a whole new set a package for Wizard of War, and it had everything I needed. So for a game that was released in early 1981, late 1980, definitely that was a cool addition, and I enjoyed hearing that. So like I said, it's not a, it's not horrible. There's not a, I can't really sit and whine about one, one or two particular things like I usually do about games I don't like. It just, for whatever <laughs> reason, just didn't click with me. So you're whining about it in the way of the whine about games you don't like instead of the way that you whine about games you do like. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yes. Got it, okay. So it's sort of like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But not quite enough peanut butter, you know. Okay. <laughs> just it's not not quite good. It was ported to many of the home platforms at the time, uh, the Commodore sixty four, the Atari eight bit family, the twenty six hundred, I think the fifty two and the seventy eight hundred as well. There was an MS DOS version of the game. It showed up on the Bally Astro Arcade yep. as the Incredible Wizard. Yeah, and it's a really good version. I think the Bally Astro Arcade version is really good. I was reading an article where they said that Bally actually used this game to show off the technical prowess of the Bally Astro Arcade. Oh. They were very proud of that. And rightfully so. And it has continued to be ported right into the present day. It's on the PlayStation Portable. There's a version on the Xbox 360. Uh, the PlayStation 3. So it's it's definitely out there. Carrington, tell me about the cabinet. Well, the first of all, all the sites online talk about how there was both a standard cabinet, the big upright one, and also a cocktail cabinet. But I'm positive there was also a cabaret, and not like a hacked cabaret, but like an official cabaret. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem to appear in the promotional material, but I still say it existed. <laughs> and, and so I was trying to track down info about the cabaret that I was positive existed. And on the Arcade Museum site, it says there's only a standard and a cocktail cabinet. But the photo, if you want to look at like its zoomed in photo of the marquee, it's showing you a marquee on a cabaret. <laughs> so like, you have a photo of it. You must acknowledge that it exists. <laughs> but uh, at least one exists. <laughs> so it's fairly standard cabinet, all brown and 1970s looking and awesome. Two four-way joysticks, two buttons, you know, one for player. Basically a light wood um, with half-height. My notes say half-hearted, but I think I meant half-height side no, art. No, you meant half-hearted. <laughs> Pretty much everything about this game is half-hearted. It shows the wizard. I like the wizard. Anyway, the cocktail version is really the cabinet that we want to talk about here because it's your standard, normal, Bally Midway cocktail. However, they did this weird thing. The monitor is rotated 90 degrees. And so you know how like when you're playing this game, your guy rotates weird? They did the same thing with the whole game when it comes to the cocktail. So you're seeing the monitor oriented 90 degrees. So you're basically playing the game sideways. Okay. And I guess because otherwise, if you think about it, the two-player version, if you play at the same time, one of you would be seeing it upside down. So clearly they said, well, we want to make it a two-player cocktail. So we'll rotate the monitor 90 degrees and both of you will see it sideways. It's so strange. It's like the weirdest thing. I, I can't think of another cocktail that did that. And, and Nintendo solved this problem with things like the Red Tent, where you've got two players and you've got two monitors. But here it's the one monitor. So they said, well, we'll just turn it. Everybody tilt your head and pop a quarter. And so it's the weirdest little cocktail cabinet. 
And they're not, it's not super collectible, but it is relatively rare. I think the only reason why the pricing for this thing seems to get above 500 is just because there's not a lot of ones out there in good condition. But the Dustin C would be also on many people's uh, must-have list. You see, that's the thing, Carrington. What's the, what's the thing? This game in general, I think, sort of mirrors my attitude about it. It's not really on a lot of people's lists for stuff they have to have. It's not really this. It's not really that. It's the Wizard of Meh. <laughs> did you? That's good. Did you play this game as a kid, as a little 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 Mikey? I did. Yes, my my friend actually had a Ballyaster arcade, and we played Ooh, cool. on his home system. He wanted to show off how great it was and how it looked just like the arcade and. It's just like this game you don't like. <laughs> well, at that age, I liked pretty much every single arcade game that I played until it killed me, and then I went and played something else. Uh, there was, as I said, there's just not a lot calling me back to it to continue to play, and I experienced that very same deja vu again this time. Well, speaking of deja vu, for me, I, I played this game when I was a kid, but I remember playing it in high school when I was of age to drive, and I know I was of age to drive because the place I would play it was the 400 Drive-In. Here in Toronto, or just outside of Toronto, there used to be a drive-in cinema called the 400, which was up north on Highway 400, thus its name, at the intersection of Highway 407. Ironically, my family now owns a couple of businesses, including a big welding company at Highway 7 and 400. So I basically work right there sometimes. Nice. <laughs> and it's now this built-up area. But when I was in high school, back in the, the late 80s and stuff, it was just farmland. There was a drive-in there because it was the middle of nowhere and it was dark. And you, you couldn't have one now because basically that's where Canada's Wonderland has been built. I used to go to that drive-in every once in a while. And this was the arcade game in the, the snack booth area when they say, let's all go to the lobby or whatever. And everyone go get this, go to get out of your cars and go to the snack area. In the snack area, there were two video games. No, so I think three video games. One was an Atari football. One was something I cannot remember, and one was Wizard of War. And so when I'd go to movies there, I would generally pop a quarter into Wizard of War. So that's where I played it mostly. I was terrible at it. I, I wouldn't really lose my place in line by playing this game because <laughs> my games were so short. <laughs> but when I fired it up this time, my immediate memory was being in the snack area for that drive-in. So it brought back a ton of the smells and sounds of being at that drive-in. So fantastic memories. I'm glad to hear that somebody enjoyed this game. <laughs> I did enjoy this game. In fact, I think I enjoyed it good enough. I'm going to predict my score is better than your score. Uh, I'm going to predict <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I'm sort of meh about the score, too. Well, my score, I got to, I think, Dungeon 7 or so. I never made it. Like, there's special dungeons that would come up later. Like, when you get to dungeons, I think, 13 or something, mm -hmm. it's like an open area with no walls or something. Like, there's all these later special dungeons. I never got to those. <laughs> like, I die early. The best I did this week, and I played, I think, more than you. I played quite a bit. Well, I got 39,200, and that would be in Dungeon 6 or 7 or so, something like that. That was my score I posted on Twitter, and that is as good as I got. What about you, okay. Mike? How'd you do? Oh, you kicked my butt this time. Yes. Yep. I, I made it past Dungeon 2 a couple of times and just sort of shrugged and gave up from boredom. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I, I, like I said, didn't hate it, didn't love it, didn't really care either way. Sort of like an egg without salt, I guess. I like eggs without salt. See, Carrington, this is your problem. <laughs> it's the it's... Canadian way. It's called a Canadian egg. <laughs> <laughs> so how'd you do? Uh, I did, I, I got 11,200. That is terrible. Yes, <laughs> I agree. 
<laughs> I don't know. You know what the thing is? I agree that this wouldn't make my favorites list, but I think it's a unique enough game. I like the sound. I think the graphics are far too in television. I totally agree with you that it seemed like a home version of a game, but I like the frantic nature. I like the radar implementation. The wizard gets on my nerves, and so it makes me <laughs> want to come back for revenge. So overall, I'm going to give it a tentative thumbs up. I, I, I say it's good. So what about next week? We'll put the wizard of misspelled were behind <laughs> us, and we'll move on to something else. Uh, well, here's what this week's game sounds like. So. <laughs> Just so. I don't know where I was going with that. I really don't. You were saying goodbye to our lovable Yes, audience. I was I was wrapping up with all of our listeners out there. Thank you for sitting in with us for another episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Remember that in addition to being able to download the episodes directly from our webpage, you can, of course, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, we're now on Stitcher and... We are on the Throwback Network over at throwbacknetwork.net. And, of course, we are also still on the, the Real Retro Junkies. Mm-hmm. So we're all over the place. Thank you for tuning in, Karen. Absolutely. And thank you for hanging out with me and playing sort of a boring game this week? Nope. It was an awesome game. Well, not awesome. It was a relatively funnish game this week. I think I can agree with that. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll see if next week's is relatively as funnish. Bye, everybody. Relatively funnish. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter we are at No Quarter Show. All of those links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com, and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. Hey, insert toys. Hey, insert toys.